got some really exciting news for you. Uh, if you're looking forward to next Sunday and Youth Explosion, and there will be the youth will be down at the other end. They will be in the gym. But this year, we get Reggie. Uh, he's going to be down here at 9, 30, and 11. Yeah, how about that? Reggie Dabbs will be here, 9, 30, and 11. He'll be bringing his uh, saxophone, and at least we expect he will be, and, and sharing. We're really excited about that. So come, bring a friend to hear Reggie Dabbs next Sunday morning. But also, we got another really special guest. You are not going to want to miss him uh, to share with you. So I encourage you to be here because you will really really be blessed. I promise that. Uh, also, but if you know any young people, or young people, if you're here and you haven't signed up, it's not too late. You know, get, get your signal, get in, sign up. Uh, it's a youth explosion. You can do that this week, but we want, if you're a youth in the area, to be here for this grand finale, and we're looking forward to it. And finally, um, you know, we've been doing through October. We did our faith promise, and, and we're a little short of where we were goal was. And we, but people were telling me even this morning we're still getting our cards turned into you out at guest services. There are cards there that you can fill out and help us reach our goal for faith promise and what God is doing through our mission work. We're really excited about that and appreciate and thank you all for your giving. Um, you know, it was a few months ago when I started reading, I'd, I'd seen, and actually the first thing I'd, I'd seen Josh Harris news of him and Eric talked about him last week about losing his faith and then the individual I'm talking about today, I, I saw news of that and just really burdened and thought, you know, this is unusual, but this is something I really felt that we needed to address and talk about here on Sunday mornings. And so uh, Pastor Eric took the first shot, and he was real thrilled to, to, to join in that. He agreed with it. So these two weeks, and this is a two-week message series, and this is the end of it. Um, it's a very short one, very different than what we normally do. But I think it's really important issue to address here in the church. It was the summer of 1996, I was playing in a golf outing with two of my uh, cohorts, my uh, fellow employees for the firm I was at at the time, and we were playing in a golf outing. It was the Steel Valley Fellowship of Christian Athletes annual golf outing. Now, I love playing in scrambles because, you know, if you're, if you're a scramble player, you know when you hit a bad shot, you can pick it up and put it up where the other guy hit it, and, and so that's fun. And, and this was the main fundraiser for the Steel Valley FCA uh, activities. Steel Valley is the Youngstown, Warren, greater Youngstown, Warren area. And so we were part of there. Now, we had three of us, two, and me and two of my colleagues, but there was a fourth individual to make out, round out our foursome. His name, I really don't remember it, so I'm going to call him Mike. Mike was... Um, Part of our foursome, as I recall, he was a loan officer at a local financial institution. We were playing, and one of the great things about golf is you can talk a lot while you're playing. You know, you can chit-chat and get to know people. Yeah, that's why you do that for business, you know. So we were chit-chat and getting to know each other. And uh, I'm finding out a little about him. He's finding out a little bit about me. And he found out that not only was I involved in my firm there and with my partners and things, but, but that I also was a worship leader. And so we started talking about music and singing and what he was doing at his church. And we got there, and he finally said, hey, have you heard this new song? This new music from this group out of Australia called Hillsong, called Shout to the Lord. I, uh, I said, well, I haven't. 
I mean, I've heard of it. In fact, I've seen it rising up the charts, but I haven't, have, back in 1996, you couldn't click on YouTube and hear a song, you know? You couldn't just go out and do it. Um, you could say, I would we'd get something and see it rising, and I'd already decided I didn't like the song by the title. And I'd say, why? Well, I just, I just assumed it was a peppy um, ripoff of the Beatles, you know? Shout to the Lord a little bit louder now. Shout to the Lord a little bit louder now. Shout to the Lord a little bit louder now, and dance and all that. That's not my kind of song, you know. So I, I decided I didn't like it. And, he, and so, but he was telling me about what well, we, at the end of the day, we, he, he goes to his car and he brings out uh, a stack of new, unopened, Shout to the Lord CDs. And he gives it to all of us. And he's, he's carrying these around. He bought them to share with people. And so I did, I had about a 45, 50 minute drive from the, from the golf course to my house. And when we were done, and so I stick it in the car. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget putting that CD in. And instead of hearing it, I hear my Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. And it, was, it wasn't very far down the road. I had tears coming down my eyes. I probably listened to the song five, six, I don't know how many times. I did listen to a few of the other ones and fell in love with them too. So fresh, so new. I got home and I had Sheila listen to it. And then I took it immediately to our worship team. I says, hey, we're doing this song Sunday. Learn it. And, and, and we started all these other songs. I just, I, I, and it was so fresh, so new. Such a, a different take. You know, you could only sing, um, I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. So many times, <laughs> you know. I, it was something through. I mean, you can, I love the song, as the deer panteth for the water. But after about 200 times, <laughs> I wanted to shoot the deer. <laughs> Okay, I didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> we started playing those songs and it just brought new fresh life into the church. Brought fresh vibrancy into our worship. And into me personally. Loved it. And there was one other song on there that was especially, I loved so much. It said, it went like this, I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I can never return. I've closed the door. We'd sung a song kind of like that for many years. It says, no turning back, no turning back. Yeah. That's why I think me and probably a lot of other folks were just saddened when we read that on Instagram, one of the prolific songwriters and worship leaders at Hillsong, Marty Sampson, had announced this via Instagram. He said, I am genuinely losing my faith. The writer of so many wonderful songs, not on that 96 album, it started about 99. He had written many, many songs, some that we sing, Oh, praise the name of the Lord Most High. He came to my rescue. He came to my rescue. We sang, God, He reigns many, many times. All I need is you, Savior, King. 40 years old, and he says, I'm genu genuinely losing my faith. Now, uh, after that, he deleted that post, and he reposted and said, well, I'm not renouncing my faith, but it's on incredibly shaky ground. And the question is, why? Why? How does that happen 
to somebody so ingrained in the church, so full of what appears to be this gift of God in the Holy Spirit to, to put himself out there as walking away. Well, in his original post, he also said, I'm going to use this as my soapbox opportunity. And he listed some of his objections that he's been running against in the Christian faith. And it was, some of them were, these were, this is what he posted. He said, how many preachers fall? And then he added to that, and nobody talks about it. And then he said, how many miracles happen? And nobody talks about it. He said, why is the Bible full of contradictions? And nobody talks about it. How can God be loved yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe and no one talks about it? Some great questions. Questions that we've probably asked ourselves at times. Uh, most people who've responded, though, have kind of reminded Samson that People have been talking about this for quite a while. <laughs> Most of these questions have been talked about for 1,500 years plus. There's been books, volumes written about these questions. It's not just something new, something that uh, just showed up yesterday. In fact, you go online, and I don't know if you should, but you go online, you can find these questions dealt with everywhere. Know where you're looking if you're looking. And then finally, though, he, uh, his final salvo was this. He said, science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Hmm. After that, there were, as you might guess, a lot of responses. Back and forth. Criticisms. Some valid, some I thought over the top. I mean, it seemed like they were criticizing everything from his parents to the breakfast cereal he was eating or something like that. Basically criticizing his upbringing as far as in the church and attending church light and the theological stance of Vineyard, which, or not Vineyard, of, of uh, um, Hillsong, which has um, some concerns about it. But basically saying, accusing him of not, not having a deep faith, and he responded to some of those. But one of his responses to one of his critics just kind of struck me. He said this, do I need this kind of criticism and an honest examination of what I believe from complete strangers? <laughs> I've never even met you, yet you presume to know me. Say what you will, I have no opinion on you or your life. I was thinking about that the other day, and I was, happened to go to lunch at uh, Panera Bread. Panera, I guess they call it now. Panera, and I was sitting there, and I was listening, and all of a sudden the music comes on, and there's a pop artist called Shawn Mendes. I don't know if you know him, but he's, he's singing, and, and the song catches my ear, and it says, like to be you, like to be you. And the chorus goes like this, I don't know what it's like to be you. I don't know what it's like to, to, but I'm dying to. If I could put myself in your shoes, then I'd know what it's like to be you. And I think Samson and Mendez have some, a valid point. We don't really know what it's like to be them. I don't know what it's like to be you. And we can't walk in each other's shoes. We end up assuming things and and we really don't know people totally. We don't know what makes Samson or Mendez or anybody else really tick. And so I, as I thought about this this morning, I thought rather than responding 
to Samson, which we will, I guess, but I'm, I'm more going to assume something. I'm going to assume that there are Marty Sampsons sitting in here. Because I believe that there are likely some in here today who are struggling in your faith. Your faith's on shaky ground. You've got questions that are driving you crazy. And you're here. I also would assume that maybe there's a little bit of Marty Sampson in all of us. Or many of us. We have those questions every now and then. And just wonder. And allow God to speak to us. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else. And this isn't an assumption. This is a fact. There are a lot of people in here, a lot of you, who know Marty Sampson's of the world. You know those who have walked away from the faith. Some of those you raised in your house. Some of those you gave birth to. Some are so dear to you. The thought of them being away from the Lord is crushing. And I know you're here today. And so in our responses, we're going to try to look at responses to all of you that may be here. What do you do with your questions and your doubts? What do you do with them? How you answer that question has long-term, even eternal significance. For some people, dealing with doubts, and Pastor Eric used a term last week that they're talking about deconstruction of our faith even, re-examining everything. For some folks, that leads to a stronger faith. But for many, not. And so there's another term besides deconstruction that has become very popular lately. And that term is this. It's deconversion. Deconversion. When you start reading about what's happening in the Church of America, you see that there's just a lot being written on the folks like Samson, like Harris, that are leaving, and they call it this deconversion. And in his book, Generation X Christian, and that's Generation EX Christian, author Drew Dyke refers to these people as leavers, L-E-A-V-E-R-S. They are the leavers of the faith. And you know what? There are these high-profile people, and we see them, but there are many, 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 many others. Not so high-profile, high they're leaving. I could give you statistics, but I don't want to bore you with all the statistics. Besides, my wife says, almost every time I preach, because I'm an accountant, I use a percentage or a statistics. So I'm not going to do that, but I am going to argue with her and say that's only true 47% of the time. <laughs> so, I guess is though, many of us can identify with this letter from a mother. My son was a, such a strong Christian from childhood. He was a regular at Sunday school. He was an active member of the youth group. He attended worship at church. Yet just a year or so into his college education, he's been influenced by his secular friends. He lost his faith and doesn't want to be part of the church anymore. I don't know what has happened. We see this written on your prayer requests that come in every week in one way 
or another. But it's not a new phenomenon. And I, it's easy to say, oh, it's the millennials, or it's the Generation Z, or Y, or I blame everybody. It's, it's not a new phenomenon. In fact, back in the 1950s, there was, the, there was these two evangelists. You might know one of them. One of them was Billy Graham. One of them was a man known as Charles Templeton. They started off in their ministry together. In fact, they started off preaching and evangelizing, went on a tour of Europe, successful tour together, preached about the gospel. It wasn't long, though, when they got back, Templeton started a church. A church back in the 50s grew to 1,200 people. All the while, he's dealing with doubts and struggles. And then it ends up that he sits down with Billy, and he says, Billy, he says, how can you believe, I'm having struggle problems, how can you believe this? And Billy says, well, I, I don't know. I look at it, it I read it, it's, it's God's word. I believe it. I believe it to be true. It's been true for me. And, and he says, I can't, I can't do that. I can't believe it. He walked away from his faith. A man who they said probably had more talent and ability than Billy Graham. Walked away from his faith, went to Canada, and not only became an agnostic, but wrote books about it. Well, in, in around the t- turn of the century, Lee Strobel uh, author and pastor, uh, in writing his book, The Case for Faith, he went to talk to Templeton. He wanted to know what it was that led him away from the Lord. What it was that, that t- caused him to be a lever. What caused him to turn his back on his faith? And they started sharing, and he started telling him about it. And at the end, uh, Strobel was getting ready to write his book, and basically he structured the book around the eight Great objections that he saw to faith. Many of these brought up by Templeton. And these objections are this. Since evil and suffering exist, a loving God cannot. Since miracles contradict science, they cannot be true. Evolution explains life, so God isn't needed. God isn't worthy of worship if he kills innocent children. It's offensive to claim Jesus is the only way to God. A loving God could never torture people in hell. Church history is littered with oppression and violence. I still have doubts, so I can't be a Christian. So my goal is in the next 15 minutes to thoroughly and completely answer each of these eight questions. (laughs) After that, I plan on giving you my plan for world peace, how to end global warming, and the coup de grace, how to fix the Browns. Oh, boy, we're going to be here a while, aren't we? <laughs> you know, I'm sorry if, you, if you're expecting to me to answer these tonight. But I will say today, if, 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 let's talk. And Pastor Eric has mentioned this. If there's something in here that's, that's, that you say, this is my struggling point, let's talk. Give us a note. If we find enough people with the same question, we'll get together and we'll have a community talk. You know, we can, we can do all this. We preached, we didn't, not long ago, we preached on Jesus is the only way. And, but we want to, we wanna, these questions do have answers to some degree. One more quote from Samson in this back and forth. He said this, if most of mankind had a choice, would we not rid the world of the scourge of cancer or sickness and disease? Why doesn't God do such a thing? Of course there's an answer to the question, but the majority of a typical Christian life is not spent considering these things. Questions such as these remain in the too hard basket. Too hard basket. That's just too hard. Just put it in there. 
The majority of the Christian life is not, is not pondering these things. We just stick them in the too hard basket. I may challenge and say maybe that is more of an uncertain basket. What does the Bible say? One scripture that has spoke to me as I've been looking at this comes from a, maybe a passage you wouldn't expect. It's that great love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bibles there or they are there in front of you, I too would say you could turn to those. Uh, they're always there for you to take home to if you need a Bible at home. But in 1 Corinthians 13, in the middle of this chapter of love, which is in the middle of this passage of spiritual gifts, Paul says this, beginning in verse 8. He says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completion comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This passage talks about our understanding. Our understanding of God, his ways, our understanding of spiritual gifts in this case, understanding of God's plan. And he's saying it's, it's not full, it's not complete. Rather than too hard, it's just not clear sometimes. Now, what God wants us to know, he's let us know, right? What God says you need to know for salvation, I've given you. What you need to know to live a, a Holy Spirit-filled life, to, to become holy in your, in, your, in your behavior, in your actions, in your life, it's all here. But there are certain things we don't know. And so he uses this metaphor of a mirror. Now, it's a little different for us. We're used to seeing a mirror that is really clear, right? You can really see yourself really well. It's like looking in HD, and sometimes you don't want to see it that way, right? <laughs> we probably would have preferred the mirrors of the ancient days because their mirrors were polished metals. And so it would have been polished brass or something like that. This mirror would have been. And, and you can see a reflection, but it's kind of like, you know, shining your car and looking at it and seeing yourself in your car there. It's, it's not clear. It's, there's, in fact, the King James Verse says we see darkly. Some, chat, some versions say we see dimly. We see God, but we don't see everything about God. We don't have perfect knowledge. In fact, um, Dr. Lynn Anderson in his book, If I Really Believe, Why Do I Have These Doubts, wrote this. A God so small that we, li that we limited humans can explain him is not big enough to be worshipped. <laughs> if God is so small that we can understand him in our limited minds, he's not big enough to be worshipped. Augustine said it this way, if you understood him, it would not be God. Paul, in Romans chapter 11 tells us this. He says, oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing. 
who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Tuesday night, Sheila and I were privileged to have our young adults from the church over into our house and we were having a great time together, 20-some young adults and we were down in our basement and when they came in, we'd given them a piece of paper and pencil and said, you can write down any question that you want to ask Pastor Steve and Sheila to find out about them. I know, kind of dangerous, huh? Yeah, and so, and so uh, they, they did that, and we had a whole envelope full of, of questions. So we were going through them and answering them. How do we meet? And, you know, those type of things. And finally, someone who knows us a little bit uh, knew to ask this question. They said, what was your favorite song from the musical Hamilton? I said, ah, oh, yeah, I, I, this, this, Sheila and I love the musical Hamilton. And I started rehearsing all this song and this song and this song. And, oh, boy, if it comes down to it, it would be the room where it happened. Song says, I want to be in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. Got to be in the room where it happened. And that's kind of why he says, God, I'd love to be in that room where it happens. <laughs> I would love to be his counselor or know his mind and to understand, but that's not for us. Paul says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can be his counselor? We weren't in the room where it happened. Our understanding is not going to be, we don't have all the background information. We don't understand God's big plan. We weren't in the room where it happened. And so there are things we just will not know completely. One day we will. In fact, Paul there, and we read in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, one day, one day those questions are going to be answered. In fact, one day that scourge of cancer is going to be gone. One day the tears are going to be gone. One day those wars are going to be gone. One day, everything we want, everything that I would do is going to be gone when we see him face to face. In the meantime, though, we are stuck in a world racked by sin. We're stuck in a world that we're just passing through. It's just, we're just aliens, we're strangers, and it's for such a short time. And for the short time, we trust that we don't know all the answers. But what do we do? So, in the next few minutes, I want to speak to the two groups. First of all, those of you who know, love, care, and cry over believers in your life. Believers. There's been a lot written since Samson announced his deconversion, or then, well, at least I'm on shaky ground. Back and forth. One of the best things I've seen written, I thought was an article from a theologian pastor, Russell Moore, Southern Baptist, who, who uh, wrote in an article called When Someone You Admire Abandons the Faith. And he gave three encouragements to us that know our leavers, that pray for our leavers. And he says, the first thing he said, if this is you, avoid anger. Avoid anger. Sometimes the first response when someone we know leaves, especially if it's someone we care about so deeply, is anger. I can't think of anybody maybe who gave us a better example of this than in Luke chapter 15, a father whose son decided to go away. We call him the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son was basically saying to his father, I've been waiting for you to die 
I've waited and waited, and you keep, just don't kick the bucket. So I want my money, and I want it now. I want to reject everything that you've, you have. I want to take it, and I want to go. And we see a loving father not get anger. We don't see anger anywhere in the father. We don't see any anger in the father when he leaves. We don't see any anger in the father while he's gone. In fact, if we read the scripture, it seems like it's the story is that he's looking out for his son, watching for him to come back. We don't see any anger from the father when he returns as opposed to the brother, right? Let me suggest this. That anger is really good if we're trying to push him away. Anger is really good if our goal is to push him away. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. That's just before what we read today. We feel, it's natural, we feel rejected, don't we? We feel disappointed, we feel hurt, we feel dishonored, we feel embarrassed. Maybe we feel like we failed. But avoid anger. Instead, instead, he suggests the second item is to avoid anger, but to be compassionate. Be compassionate. 1 Corinthians 13 said, love never fails in verse 8. Love never fails. Be compassionate. You know, Russell found, and he stated in this article, the same thing I found in, in all the books I've been reading and studying and everything I've been, done, been doing and my own personal experience. Why should we be compassionate? Well, it's because a great majority of those leavers, a great majority of those people who are exiting the church are people who are hurt. They are hurt. They're going through that dark night of the soul. Sometimes they're hurt because... They're embarrassed or they're, 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 they're hurt in their own understanding of what's going on. They're hurt because they blame God. Sometimes they've been hurt by somebody else. They've been hurt by a Christian. They've been hurt by a family member. And they, and they just leave. This was so powerfully demonstrated this past week. I don't know if you know him or not, but there's a lot of news has been making in, in certain circles. Anyhow, about a Christian comedian, very famous, named John Christ. John Christ has gotten very popular, selling out your big, big, uh, big places that are, that are having him in, and they're selling out, and he's doing his comedy. Well, they found out through an expose that had been done over several months that John has struggled with addiction and womanizing. And in fact, it goes on to detail a lot of what he's been up to as pastors have been promoting him and he's been in churches uh, preaching and the harm that he's done to women. In fact, the article talks about two women in particular who said they are no longer Christians. He said, I'm no, we, are, we're, we're, we no longer are Christians because of the hurt that they experienced through this comedian. These people don't need to be lectured. They need to be loved. They need to, be, they need to, they need to feel the compassion of those around them. Some people say, well, just hit them over the head with the Bible. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of our culture doesn't accept the Bible as authoritative anymore. 
We need to take the first steps of bringing them in. You know, besides, besides the, these levers, which some of those are the, those that are hurt, in fact, one, one place calls them recoilers. They're the recoilers. They, they're, they're, coming, they're, they're, they're recoiling from the church. Another group that you see are the rebels. The rebels are those who just, I really don't care what the Bible says. I really don't care what my upbringing is. I want to go out and I want to party. I'm going to turn my back, and I don't care about the consequences. And when they leave, they usually leave loud, and they usually leave with a lot of a gusto. But they need our compassion. The biggest group, though, that we find is leavers. The statistics, if I were to quote them, say the vast majority is a group that they refer to as drifters. Drifters. That's the mother who wrote about their son. Here today gone tomorrow. They don't slam the door when they leave. They close it quietly. And they walk out. Maybe some of those are folks that used to sit next to you. And you wonder, where have they been? And they just drifted away. You know, one thing about drifters is they're highly influenced by their environment. So if you want to get a drifter back, you get them into a different environment. You do that by loving them, by caring, by inviting them by having compassion on them. Finally, he says this. The third thing is to cling to hope. No matter how far away, no matter how deviant, no matter how angry, the prodigal son returned. We do this through patience. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. We do it through a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of prayer. And you know what I mean when I say that. The good shepherd left the 99 to go get the one. And the one returned. So if, if, you're, if you're in that position of there's somebody in your family, somebody in your heart that's a lever and it just rips, wrecks you, don't get angry. Be compassionate. Love them. And cling to hope as you pray, as you reach out, and as you love them. Finally, in closing, though, what about some of you who are the Marty Sampsons of the world? You're struggling. Your faith is shaky today. And you're actually thinking about leaving, or maybe you've left, and you're just here because you need to be for some reason. In his book, Generation X Christian, um, Drew Dyke notes that one valid question to ask the leavers is this. What are you leaving for? What are you leaving for? Is what you're leaving for more satisfying? You know, everybody serves something or someone. What are you leaving for? Last week, Pastor Eric asked the opposite question. What are you turning away from? What are you leaving behind? This question is, have you really thought through what are you leaving for? When Strobel got to the end of his interview with Templeton, he'd heard all the objections. And he finally asked him, what do you think of Jesus? And he was shocked at his answer. Templeton, this agnostic, who had written books about leaving God, says, Jesus is the most important person who ever lived. 
He goes on and says, he's the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. And he went on and on and on about this man, Jesus. And then he said this, I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, I adore him. Everything I, good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. And then with a tear in his eyes of this old agnostic, he said this, and if I may put it this way, I miss him. I miss him. What are you leaving for? What are you leaving for? Malin Murray O'Hare was a very famous atheist in the 70s and 80s, was brutally murdered in the 90s, but when they found her diary, it said that in her diary she had written this, somebody, somewhere, love me. Somebody, somewhere, love me. What are you leaving for? Dr. Anderson wrote this in Why Do I Have Doubts? There's nothing wrong with trying to understand our faith, but many of us try too hard. We attempt to explain the unexplainable, find out the undefinable, ponder over the imponderable, and unscrew the inscrutable. A life of real meaningful faith can't be treated that way. Trying to do so with only these people with swollen heads and shrunken hearts. Uh, when Strobel was going around interviewing people, one of the people he interviewed was J.P. Moreland. J.P. Moreland is an American philosopher, preacher, um, and uh, apologist, but he's also a distinguished professor of philosophy at Talbert School of Theology. He specializes in metaphysics, philosophy of mind, chemistry, and Christian philosophy. Bright guy. He had just spent a long time talking about the doctrine of hell and, and sending people to hell with him. And Strobel was leaving, and Morgan got up, and he, he says, I, Moreland got up, he says, I, there's one other thing that's bothering me. i got to tell you this. And he says, what is it? He says, when you're looking, especially when you're looking at the objections or the objection, you've got to remember to have perspective. He goes, if all you do is look at the one objection. You focus on it. And you, what I would say, if you keep your head in your problem basket, <laughs> two problem, two problem, which is what Samson had said. He said, most Christians don't spend a majority of their time pondering their pro these objections. No, we don't. He says, if you spend all your time here and don't look at the bigger picture of all the evidence, you're going to get off track. He said, take your problem. This problem is God isn't worthy of worship if he kills innocent children. Consider that problem and think about it, but consider that in, as a piece of all the evidence you know, as a piece of the evidence of the creation around us. And, and, and the evidence of God revealing himself to us in his scripture the evidence we have of Jesus Christ walking the earth. The evidence we have of a, of a death and a resurrection. The evidence we have of 2,000 years of church history. He said, when you look at it all, this becomes a piece of it and you can deal with it. But if your focus is only on this, you don't get the full perspective. Go where the evidence takes you. These are questions that we deal with, questions that have answers, maybe not to our satisfaction. But at some point, Pastor Matt Chandler, we've been studying him 
his, on, his, his study of Philippians on Thursday nights, a very famous large church pastor, says that he had, before he came to Christ, these long list of questions. And he said, I will not become a quest, Christian until everyone's answered. <laughs> and he says, but you know what? There came a point sometime where all of a sudden, God grabbed him. All of a sudden, he saw the bigger picture. He looked at all the evidence. All of a sudden, he was able to say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter I don't have all the answers. He says, no, I don't give up my questions. In fact, yeah, he says, I probably got more questions now than I had then. <laughs> That's kind of the way it goes. He says, but it doesn't matter. My faith's strong. I've closed the door. I'm not going back. What are you leaving for? What, what, are you, what are you leaving for if these are holding you back? For those willing to wholeheartedly seek and search after God, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. Sometimes when we're going for something, when we're seeking, you're not going to find God in some of our searches. Some of our searches are so far from God. But when you seek him, could it be today you say, I'm going to seek you, God, if you're one of those faith on shaky ground. So as we close, the band's going to play a song. We're going to sing. But the altar's going to be open today. We just want to open the altar to you. And if you are one of those, I'd invite you to come forward. If, if you've been praying for somebody and you just say, I want to come up here this morning and we want to pray. We want to, we want to not be angry. We want to be compassionate. We want to, we want to keep our hope up. But you want to come and pray. I, I invite you to come join me. There's people on my list. It breaks my heart. I want to pray for them this morning. But if you're one of those on shaky ground, would you come talk with Eric and I? Or... Accept Jesus right there if you know how to do it. Maybe if you're a, if you're a, a deconverter, you, you, you've been through it before. But I'd still encourage you to come and talk with us. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. And then we're going to be dismissed. But use this time to come and lay at, the, lay at the altar. Lay at the altar those in your heart, in your lives. Father, thank you for this encouragement that we hear. We thank you for your word. And Lord, that although we may look through this mirror dimly, we, Lord, we see you. We see you in your word. And Father, although we don't have all the answers, we can trust in you. Lord, our hearts are grieved when we think of some of those who have walked away. Our hearts are grieved when we think of those who have left their faith. Lord, help us to continue to lift them up in prayer to you. Encourage us. May our hope be strong. Amen.
as you go today. This one reminder or thought, each week, uh, Pastor Eric and I put together a gathering guide. It's kind of a follow-up to our sermon discussion, and some classes use it. And it's placed out at guest services. And we made some extra copies today, and I've got about 30 up here, too, that I've got. Because one of the things that I put in this week under Where Do We Go From Here, it says, here are additional recommended resources if you'd like to go deeper. If, if maybe you, you've got some of these questions and you just want to you want to read up on them a little bit. You want some, and you want to know what I've been reading or what Pastor Eric and I've been reading. It's here. If maybe you're wondering about how do I, how do I share with the leavers that book, Generation X Christian, is listed here. So the, the book and the author are listed there. There's, hopefully there's a lot out there. You can get those. I have a supply. But if you'd like to do that, I want you to have that opportunity. And this week as you go, and as we go to... Um, Avoid anger and be compassionate. Hang on to hope for those we pray for. And if you're carrying around a really heavy, uh, too hard basket, uh, give it over to God. Um, don't give up on your questions. You can ask questions, but look at the big picture. Look at a God who came and saved you and gave his life for you, and you have victorious. And, and we know, we know what we're, look, what we're looking forward to. We know who we're serving. No turning back. No turning back. Go in peace. You're dismissed.